the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. What this story shows us is that God's love has no limitations, that it breaks down barriers of race and gender, ethnicity, religious backgrounds, and so forth. God's love is all-encompassing. Welcome to another edition of Study Verse by Verse with Pastor Leighton Sheely from Church of the Highlands in San Bruno. So glad you've joined us as we start a new week and move into a new chapter in the book of John, chapter number four. If you'd like to follow along, Pastor Leighton will begin with those verses that deal with the woman from Samaria. If you've missed any of these messages in this lengthy series in the book of John, and it will continue, you can find them all on our website at highlands.us. That's highlands.us. Remarkably, the conversion of the Samaritan woman is not the main point of the passage, but the central truth of that passage is Jesus' revelation of himself as Messiah. Now, it's interesting, though, why he would choose to reveal this, not to the Jewish authorities in Jerusalem, but rather to um, an immoral Samaritan woman, I, I believe, as do many of the scholars, that it was to underscore that God is, shows no partiality when it comes to salvation. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And I think it was also to underscore an illustration. It was to illustrate what Jesus had said in his conversation with Nicodemus, recorded for us in the previous chapter, that God so loved the world, not just Jewish people, not just good people, not just believers, but God loves the entire world. Now you notice that there's a remarkable contrast between Nicodemus in the previous chapter and the Samaritan woman in uh, chapter 4. Nicodemus was Jewish. He was one of the chosen people of God. And she was not. She was a Samaritan. He was devoutly religious, and she was quite immoral. He was an educated theologian, and she was an uneducated peasant. He recognized that Jesus was sent by God. He didn't recognize that Jesus was God incarnate. He didn't recognize that Jesus was the Son of God. But he did recognize that Jesus was from God. She didn't have a single clue as to who Jesus was. He was wealthy. She was probably very poor. He was very influential, very powerful. She had no influence. She had no power. He was part of the social elite of his nation. Everybody wanted to be his friend. And uh, she, she was an outcast among outcasts. Nobody wanted to be her friend. In fact, that's why she was at the well in the middle of the day. She didn't want anybody else. Nobody wanted her around. Everybody else, the other one would go either in the, in the early morning or late in the day, in the cool of the day. But here was this Samaritan woman all alone in the heat of the day going out to get water. What this story shows us is that God's love has no limitations, that it breaks down barriers of race and gender, ethnicity, religious backgrounds, and so forth. 
God's love is all-encompassing. This conversation with the Samaritan woman also illustrates three truths about salvation. First, salvation comes only to those who recognize their desperate need to be saved, who have a hunger and a thirst after righteousness. Secondly, salvation only comes to those who confess and repent from their sin. You remember her confession. She said, Sir, I perceive you to be a prophet. And what she was saying is that everything you have said about me is true. I confess that what you said is true. And then thirdly, salvation only comes to those who embrace Jesus Christ as their Savior, their Lord, their Messiah, their sin bearer. Now, our attention today is brought to the second part of the story. It begins at verse 27. We studied the first part last week. But let's read this story so that our study today is clarified in its greater context. So we're going to begin at verse 1, chapter 4. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, or Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. It was about 12 o'clock, about noon, about the heat of the heat of the day. A woman from Samaria came to to draw water. Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that that you, a, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that's saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? And are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. 
The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now that's where we concluded our study last week. Let's begin our study today at verse 27. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Now, the Greek phrase is translated just then or at this point or at that very moment captures Jesus' mastery of the situation. The disciples returned from Sychar where they purchased food at the exact moment that Jesus declared that he was the Messiah to the Samaritan woman. If they had returned earlier, they might have interrupted the conversation before it reached this conclusion. And had they returned later, they would have missed Jesus' declaration. This shows divine providence at work. God was sovereignly arranging the timing of events so that the disciples would come and hear exactly what they needed to hear. God orchestrates all events. Jesus recognized this, and he was constantly aware of God's timetable. At the wedding in Canaan, he told his mother... My hour has not yet come. And then he told his skeptical brothers in chapter 7, My time is not yet here. And verse 30 of that same chapter records that his enemies were seeking to seize him, but no man laid his hands on him because his hour had not yet come. Jesus prefaced his account, or the author, I should say, prefaced his account of the upper room discussion by noting that Jesus knew that his hour had come and that he would depart out of this world to the Father. And then when Jesus began his priestly prayer, recorded for us in John chapter 17, Jesus said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Jesus was constantly aware of God's timing, that God was in control of timing. God controls everything to the second, even the nations, the timing of the nations. And we should all take encouragement from this. The kingdoms of this world are temporary, but believers have dual citizenship. We not only have citizenship in whatever country we happen to have been born or raised in or have taken citizenship in, but we also have citizenship in heaven. And heaven is an eternal kingdom. Amen. So God manages history not only in a macro Uh, context, but also in a micro context. He manages history to the second in the establishment and the dissolution of nations. He also manages things like conversations and and how they they time out as well. Now, there's little wonder that the disciples were uh, surprised and perplexed when they returned from the town to find Jesus talking with this woman. You remember last week we talked about a rabbinic precept that said, let no one talk with a woman in the street. And that included a wife or a mother or a daughter. And so Jesus here was shatteringly unconventional for a rabbi. And had these disciples known about this woman's immoral background, they would have probably been doubly perplexed. But they had such a respect for Jesus that they did not interrupt the conversation to ask the woman 
What do you seek? What do you want? What are you here for? And they, and they didn't ask Jesus, why did you speak with her? They'd already learned that Jesus was not bound by traditions and prejudices. And, and when he did something, he always had a good reason for doing so. Now there's a good phrase, a good thought to apply to your own life. If you've allowed God to be in control of your life, then he has a good plan for you. This is Study Verse by Verse, a daily visit from Pastor Leighton Sheely, and he is the senior pastor at Church of the Highlands in San Bruno. I'm Mike Trout. Thanks for coming along on this Monday. We'll continue in the fourth chapter of the book of John tomorrow at this same time, and you can get caught up on past messages as Pastor Leighton has taken us through the first three chapters of the book of John. If you just go to our website and click on the messages link or sermons link on the homepage, that's highlands.us. Well, the service times have changed and the doors are open at Church of the Highlands. I encourage you to check out all of the details when you go to that website again, highlands.us. And let us know that you listen to this broadcast. Just click on the contact link again on the homepage. And join us tomorrow at this same time when we'll once again open the Word of God and study verse by verse. This broadcast is sponsored by Church of the Highlands in San Bruno.